I would like to first and foremost give the salams to the panelists who are here on the live. Assalamu alaikum, dear panelists, and thank you for being here. Assalamualaikum to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast family. We are here. We are back. MashaAllah. We are in season four of the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. This podcast is called From Heartbreak to Dope, um, facilitating the journey um, for those of us that may have experienced trauma, heartbreak, brokenness, and to come back to this idea of dope, which is an acronym that we use for determined to overcome pain and elevate. And our elevation always is to reach the most high, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're hoping through these dialogues that we're calling all of ourselves back to that. So welcome. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. I can see your comments. Thank you for dropping your salams, exchanging the greetings. We want to keep the barakah and the exchange of peace in this dialogue. So thank you all for being here. We are here with series two, which is called the Radical Love Podcast Series. And for those of you, I wanted to speak for a moment just to say thank you to those that have supported me. The series one was really tough. Um, it was a heartbreak and denial podcast series. And I saw myself within that series a lot. And I had to take a pause. But I'm grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I'm coming back with the Radical Love Podcast Series and in this series, we want to cultivate that love that we have first and foremost that comes from the source, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that he facilitates within all of us in, in which we're able to bridge between one another and in in the hearts that we share amongst um, each other. So Jazakallah Khairan, I'm super humbled to introduce this panel. I'm usually not nervous because I've been doing this for so long, but tonight I'm super nervous because a lot of these are my teachers. And so I'm like, you know, on a struggle bus. So bear with, <laughs> bear with Sabria tonight, mashallah. So let me go ahead and introduce first, mashallah. I had the privilege of sitting um, under this, uh, you know, this brother um, several different times in many classes. So I'm super humbled that he accepted the invitation. But mashallah, this brother, he's has an extensive study. I'm going to really concise it. He studied um, in just one of many areas, but some of the areas, the principles of Islamic jurisprudence, the sciences of the Holy Quran, the science of prophetic traditions, Islamic history, um, and, and the rules of Islamic etiquette, and so much more. He's been lecturing for the past 30 years as a speaker with the Islamic Speakers Bureau of Georgia and the Carolinas. He's lectured at some of the universities that I'll mention, which is Tennessee State University, Georgia Institute of Technology, and Queens College in New York, just to name a few. And I'm super happy and humbled to have um, one of my teachers, mashallah, um, Ustad Muhammad Saeed here on the podcast. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for being here. Another one of my teachers, not just my teacher, but the teacher of my parents as well. So I'm super humbled again that he accepted the invitation. But um, this, our dear Imam, he's a native of Atlantic City, um, where I'm from in New Jersey. He served as an Imam of Mashin Muhammad of Atlantic City for nearly a decade. He studied under many renowned um, and respected Islamic scholars of our time from Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Lebanon. Um, he studied in the science of Akita, Fiqh, Tafsir, Sirah, Hadith, and um, presently he teaches daily classes online at the Masjid Muhammad of Atlantic City. And he's been an advisor and teacher at the Muslim Education and Convert Center of America 
um, acronym MECCA in New York, a teacher at Al Maqsid in Pennsylvania, and a teacher at other institutions across the country. We would like to humbly welcome Imam Amin to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for being here. And it looks like we lost Mecca. She was having some issues with connection. But I did want to introduce our dear sister who's holding it down for the women today. But she is Coach Mecca Nandi, and she is also known as the co-wife coach. For those of you who have been following the Dope Muslim Woman podcast since we came um, into fruition, she was in season two, and she had a very polarizing podcast on polygyny. So I advise you to go back and look at it. It's a pretty popular one. Um, but she is the co-wife coach, but she also coaches women overall with their overall well-being. Um, so you can find her on Instagram, Mecca underscore Nandi, inshallah. And we will humbly have her back once she um, regains connection. I did want to um, also announce and apologize on behalf of Imam Abdullah Jaber, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal Imam, another one of my teachers, but he is actually stuck in flight in the South. We were having a series of storms and he got delayed. So unfortunately he will not be joining us, but he will be joining us on a future podcast. Alhamdulillah. So, all right. So we're going to, I, I hear some jokes here, I guess, Imam. I mean, I don't know if it's for you, but it's that like you should have let Baruch hook you up with a suit. Okay, I don't know who. Okay, I see Imam Fahim here. We're gonna we're gonna keep this light and funny because you know Imam Fahim, he's like the dope Muslim woman podcast imam. So, mashallah, <laughs> just like luck hide it. Okay, we're gonna get right into this discussion. Subhanallah. Um, I wanted to start with this conversation to love beyond the ego. And the reason why I wanted to start here is I wanted us to really be able to differentiate the difference that we have with the nafs, our nafs, our lower selves, and how sometimes we can get confused when we talk about this thing called love. And we confuse what it means to be in divine presence and have divine love with the creator. So I wanted to really break this down for us here tonight. Um, I wanted to start right there with asking about the difference because a lot of times it's not clear as we even as believers as we navigate relationships as we navigate the dynamics that we have with one another we often believe that we are loving but we come from a place of the ego we come from the place of the nafs we often look to seek what fills us instead of what we can simply offer right um so i wanted to ask i'm going to start with you um ustad muhammad saeed if that's okay what is the difference between a divine love that's based on our islamic principles versus a love that's based on the ego or the lower self <laughs> Let's begin with the ayah from Quran Majid from Total Room, inshallah. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioning in this ayat of Kareem, he said that uh, from amongst our signs is that we created for you, or from you that is, amongst yourselves as wajan, uh, wise or, or mates so that you would find sakina in them or tranquility in them, and that he has created between the two of them mawadda wa rahma. So mawadda 
is associated with affection. Some try they translate mawadda to be love, but it's more akin to affection. Hub or mahabba is more akin to the Islamic concept of love. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioned in this ayat and, and, and Jalaluddin the Sayyid was Allah, he mentions in this tafsir Jalalain that again, this is affection and it's associated with the physical body. Because when you first meet someone before you, when in order for a person to even get married, there has to be some type of attraction. So this attraction is a nafsani attraction, this is a physical attraction because you don't know that person in most cases, especially in Islam, Islamic society, you don't know the person you're marrying initially but there is something that attracts you to them. There's a physical connection that you see. There's something about that person, the way they look, the way they walk, their speech. These are all things that cause an attraction or mawadda between the male and the female. And also you are attracted to that person because they are similar to you and a lot of times they created them from you. Meaning thereby that a lot of created from Sayyidina Adam So that mawadda is associated with affection which is a physical thing. Hub or love, mahabba has more to do with a spiritual state where it's more than just a transactional. So nafsani love is transactional. It's based on what this person brings to me, what I can give to this person. I like this person because of this specific thing about them. He has this quality, she has that quality. These are things that are associated with the nafsi amara or different levels of the self. So again, this eye from what I was taught is associated with uh, affection and emotion, whereas when we talk about divine love, we're talking about a love that has no center in the physical body, that it is uh, it is something that is overpowering and there is no, nothing transactional about it. So when people fall in love is it, it as a result of becoming beginning to know that person. So in our relationship Islamically, we know the person physically, and then by being with them, we begin to see their inner qualities, the good things about them, and that uh, causes us to develop love for that person, which is unconditional. So uh, the nafsani love, there are conditions uh, connected to that. The love that is divine, there are no conditions because, for example, we love Allah not because of what he's giving us. Divine love of Allah is based on the fact that Allah is worthy of our love. Likewise, our Sheikh Jalani, he said that love, he said this whole affair of deen is a matter of love. He also said that love comes from the heart so that if you really love someone, you automatically know how to deal with them in terms of ikhlaq, adab, and this is the basis of love. Mm. I want to continue to go on and, and monopolize. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Imam, I mean, if that's okay, I'm going to pop over to you. And I wanted to ask you far as when we talk about the ego or when we talk about our nafs, let's say our nafs for the sake of this conversation, the different layers of the nafs and how we as individuals sort of, we're encouraged to manage and master them. And then in that process, we're also having to experience loving relationships with our spouses, loving relationships with our family members. How does one be able to navigate mastering or managing the nafs, right? And being able to, like Sheikh um, Sheikh um, Saeed, Muhammad Saeed said, be able to kind of come from that divine, unconditional space. How does one do that? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. I think one of the things that we should look at is when you talk about love, we should look at it in terms of relationships relationships and islamically 
And in life, we have basic three basic relationships. We have a relationship between us and Allah wa Taala. That's one relationship. We have a relationship between us and the creation. Everything in the creation, people, inanimate objects, everything in the creation. And then we have a relationship between us and ourselves, right? Yes. Each one of those relationships has a different aspect of love. Each relationship has a different aspect of love. So when we're talking about the nafs, the nafs has a connection to each relationship. You look as a human being, from the side of the nafs, that's one aspect of the human being, not the totality of the human being. If you look at the human being, you're looking at a human being that is a body, that is a heart, that is a nafs, that is a soul, that is an innermost secret, right? So you're talking about several layers of the human being, not just one aspect. When you look at the nafs, going closer to your question, so let's look at all those things. We got a body, we have a heart, we have a nafs, we have a soul, and we have an innermost secret, right? So levels, right? When we're talking about the nafs, the nafs can go up and down. In terms of the nafs, if it goes towards the body, it is almost at the level of an animalistic uh, space towards what we call al-baha'im, towards like an animal nature, which is only to please itself. That is the body, right? So when we're talking about our love related to people, right? If it is that lower aspect of the nafs, it's only going to be the issue of satisfying the body. And that whole love is hisiya, is sensual love, right? So if that's the love we're talking about, that's the lowest level of the nafs. If we talk about a level that goes to another stage that says, you know what? It's not about me. It's about both of us. Then that's a transactional love that the level of the nafs becomes self-accusing. It doesn't just say about me, what about you? But at the same time, I'm thinking about me. As that develops, that level of the ego gets to be content with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made you and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me, then it becomes tranquil in its love. You follow? Yes. And then once it goes to another level, higher than that, when the whole relationship is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what you call divine love. Then we lose that space of you, me, and it's only a us with Allah. So if we're looking at the levels of the nafs and its relation to the body, then it goes to the level of the soul, then it goes to that level of a divine connection with Allah. And that is the height of love as we as human beings can experience. And Allah knows best. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah, JazakAllah, Kaidan. That's extremely, um, that's extremely insightful. And, and it makes me think that this whole process of love is ultimately a journey. You know, and we can't ultimately expect not to go through the journey. So even starting at that nafsi level is almost expected in order for us to reach that divine level. Am I understanding that correct, correctly, Imam? Yes. 
is. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Subhanallah. Now, Coach um, Coach Mecca, I wanted to pop over to you because I know you deal a lot directly with women in particular as it relates to um, self worth and um, coming from a place of fear. And um, when we talk about ego based relationships, sometimes they can be based in the realm of fear. And when I deal with a lot of women, even with this platform, obviously, the Adult Muslim Podcast, we, we're just, you know, we attract a lot of women that are navigating a lot of different dynamics. I wanted to ask in regards to when we ultimately seek, what causes us to seek these type of relationships, a relationship that feeds our sense of low self-worth, that comes from a place of fear, what, is, what are we ultimately seeking and what needs to be healed in that realm, and in particular for women in our experience? Well, if anything, the seeking, what, what a lot of women are seeking is the acceptance and the feeling of being appreciated. Like all of these different elements that really can connect or it kind of, it connects with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, they're not connecting it with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So women that are looking for these like comforting, appreciating, like- Validating. Exactly, validating relationships. Your, um, I don't even. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> Mecca, <you> listen. <laughs> Allah is so merciful. I'm I'm that Allah is so merciful. That's what I'm going to say right now. Tonight <laughs> is like, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but it's like seeking that valid the, the validity of just different things to kind of occur where there's a missing void and that missing void is that connection that is actually what they're supposed to have with their lord because at the end of the day when you see that you really are connecting with the law and on top of that yourself connecting with your lord and also connecting with yourself because you don't need other people to kind of validate you or make you happy and so on and so forth when you actually are seeking not just uh love and acceptance um, or just some type of, of feeling of comfort in other people, people will let you down every day. Man will let you down all the time because at the end of the day, they are flawed just like you. And when you hear people say that, you know, they want to love you, they want to care for you, as soon as they fail you, then that person that is seeking that love when they're failed. Uh-oh. My poor Mecca, subhanAllah. Um, Sheikh Muhammad um, Saeed, I wanted to ask you a question because you mentioned unconditional love. And I had this question that I posted on my platform if people actually believe, if the if Muslims, if we as Muslims they feel believe in unconditional love. Mecca, are you back? Yes. Okay, Mecca, I'm gonna pop back to you if that's okay. I'm gonna finish my question, that's I'm gonna right. pop back to you. Thank that's you for right. your patience. Um, so Sheikh, I wanted to ask about this because what is supposed to be our perspective on unconditional love? A lot of us believe that, um, that is not the unconditional love is just reserved for like a law in our children. We shouldn't be actually having that within the relationships with our spouses. Can you help us un understand what that looks like for us in this religion and this Dean and, and within our relationships? Well, unconditional love can exist between man and a woman, the parent and the child. 
as well as siblings and relatives, as well as uh, unconditional love with Allah Ta'ala. But it is a, a condition that a person arrives at over a period of time. For example, um, I've been married to my spouse going on 36 years now, and she accepts me as I am because we've struggled for those for that period of time. But it wasn't always that it wasn't always that way. So unconditional love is a state where you can reach with your spouse, but it takes struggles. It takes mujahid and not it takes struggling so hard with yourself that you understand that you are flawed and you understand that your mate is flawed. And when you recognize that neither of the two of you are perfect, then you begin to accept each other unconditionally and you don't look for any unreasonable expectation. Part of the problem we have in our relationship is that we have un unreasonable expectations. We're looking for the perfect mate. The man is looking for the perfect wife. The wife is looking for the perfect husband. I'm looking for someone who's going to give me everything I want, all the uh, everything that I understand to be loved. That's what I'm looking for. And my mate is doing the same thing. And so what happens is when we come across a roadblock or we come across a stumbling block where we don't see that thing we're looking for, we become disappointed. So unconditional love is when we get to a point where we have to understand that there are no perfect human beings. The only perfect human being is our beloved Nabi Karim. Some of our tell them we are imperfect in our, in our love, in our relationship. We have to get to the point where we love ourselves first and accept who we are. And when I, then what happens is our wives, they love themselves and they accept who they are. Then we learn to accept each other as who we are. And then we find ourselves accepting each other and developing uh, unconditional love for our spouses. Unconditional love of Allah Ta'ala is based on Ibadah. Allah Ta'ala mentions in Hadith Qusi that the Allah Ta'ala, the Abid draws near to Allah Ta'ala through doing what is far, then Allah Ta'ala loves that person. And then he draws even nearer by doing the wafa, going the extra mile, more prayer, more fasting, more zikr, more salawat, until Allah Ta'ala befriends that person. And then Allah Ta'ala says that that person, his hand becomes a handle that the person holds, tongue becomes the tongue which he speaks, foot becomes the foot which he walks, meaning thereby divinely guided. Not that Allah Ta'ala becomes a part of the person, but Allah Ta'ala guides that person. But that type of unconditional love is the, is the result of ibadah. Because the more you know someone, the more you know a person, the more you love them. The only way to, to uh, obtain unconditional love of Allah Ta'ala is by ma'arifah, knowing him. So the more you know Allah Ta'ala, likewise with your mate, the more you know your mate and accept the qualities of your mate, then you can begin to develop unconditional love. But this is something that takes a period of time. For some people, it takes a lifetime. Some of us, we never develop that with a spouse, but it is possible. Mm, SubhanAllah, insightful. Um, Sister Khadija, Imam, I mean, Sister Khadija said that some people may seek perfection in partners to attempt to fulfill the imperfections within themselves. And I wanted to talk about that void that we have within us at times, that void in which causes us sometimes to seek in other people to validate us, to sort of fulfill a need that we um, ultimately should be um, seeking from the source. I wanted to talk a little bit about that and ask you, what, how does an individual navigate that void? And how do we not fall into the pitfalls of looking to others, especially our spouses, to fulfill us? Uh. I think one of the things that we should keep in mind is that we are not alone, right? And the idea of the I is problematic in relationships. In terms of I can do it myself. No, I need people. Allahu wa ta'ala created us as people, even though we started as individuals, 
but we come together. If you notice in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, Hold on to the rope of Allah together and don't separate. When the ayah that uh, Ustad Muhammad mentioned, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about among his signs is that he created you ajwajan, in groups, in pairs, right? What? So that you can find tranquility between one another. So there is an element that we need others for fulfilling things, okay. right? That is a part of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned through the tongue of the Prophet sallallahu by inspiration. Remember, the Prophet doesn't speak on his own accord. He's speaking what Allah revealed to him. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is assisting, helping his servant so long as that servant is what? Helping the other. So there is this aspect of ta'awun between the spouses. However, which, which every spouse needs to understand that the aid that I seek from other is only by an aid given to the other from Allah. So the ultimate connection is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I don't dismiss the value of the need of social interaction between human beings, right? So when we say, it is you alone we worship and you alone we seek for help, meaning that the ultimate help comes from Allah that doesn't negate our interdependency upon one another. That's what gives us tranquility. That is how we're able to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what I would say this, and in, in, in summarizing my answer to your question, always look to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but don't forget the means that Allah gave you as access to him. So the spouse is extremely important in your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The thing is that you got to realize that spouse must be a means of connection and not a means of avail. Right? That, yeah. I mean, that that's the point, Imam, because I think that's where a lot of us, we see a lot of us maybe go wrong and we sort of kind of get lost on our path and journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, maybe we're placing people in our heart, a place in our hearts in which only Allah should reside. And that easily happens. And I don't know the experience of the brothers, but I know for us as women, it could be a whole struggle once we get married and we wrap our self-worth up into being a wife and being, you know, I mean, Mecca, right? I mean, this is our experience a lot of times and, and we get lost in it. You know what? But that's a beautiful thing, though, to get okay. lost in it and allow yourself to be found. You know, mm. it's a beautiful experience oh. because when you get to that situation, when you get to that point, you appreciate the space, the energy, the feeling so much more. You're able to connect even better because you know what it was when you didn't have it. You remember how it was. You remember how you felt. You remember how your, your, your what your experience was as far as even within your relationship with other people, how it was then compared to now and it gives you a full found appreciation and gratitude for the finding you know not necessarily you well I will, a lot of times people say oh you know 
uh, Almighty Allah failed me. No, honey, he never lost you. You're the one who lost yourself. <laughs> you found you found the mercy that was always there. You yeah. found the, the 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 gratitude and the love that is that was always there. Mm. When you get to that point, it allows you to be able to connect and appreciate so many different things that are coming before you after that and a better and even a deeper level. And you have more understanding too. You have a lot more understanding. Like right now, today I'm having a moment. You see, like my technology is just, but you know what? Alhamdulillah, at the end of the day, Allah is truly merciful. These things are a test. How are we going to present ourselves when it comes to that? And what appreciation and love and growth that comes from it is absolutely amazing and beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, beautiful Mecca. And Imam, I mean, he beautifully touched on this. He kind of left a, a cliffhanger, um, Ustad Muhammad, with this whole the veil, right? It could either be our pathway and journey and a means to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or it could be a veil. Can we talk a little bit about what it looks like when our um, loving relationships is a veil between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I think uh, what happens in, uh, especially in early relationships when uh, couples first get married is that they haven't found themselves Islamically yet in terms of who they are as an individual, as an individual Muslim lady or Muslim man. They're looking for identification in their spouse. So what happens is because they may not be grounded in their deen, they don't know what to look for in the mate. Likewise, especially in the, in the Western society, a lot of us, we came from backgrounds where our parents were not Muslim. So we didn't know how to deal with being a Muslim father or Muslim husband or Muslim mother or Muslim wife. And it's a process of learning how to be a Muslim father or Muslim son or Muslim mother, Muslim wife. And I've seen a lot of relationships end because of very bad advice coming from our non-Muslim parents or imitating what they did in terms of how we dealt with each other. So I think what we what the individual has to do is he has to get to, or she has to get to a point where she understands and knows her dean because that's the basis of everything. And the basis of, of love is what a lot of times described and what our beloved Nabiism has described it. Let me get to the point. I think what each person has to do in their relationship is to continue their Islamic education. We should know how to make salat properly. We should know how to fast properly, all the rules, because these are the things that give us a strong foundation. And then when, you, when you're with each other, you, you should push each other. If uh, this is, we see uh, a lot of families that fail is because they, they don't fight for each other. You have to fight for your mate. You have to fight for your spouse. Because uh, one of the things that Allah Ta'ala has given, he's given them permission to attack the family. In some cases, we don't fight hard enough to stay married. We give up the moment something is not right. So, but it goes back to if the individual in the, in the relationship, the husband or the, or the wife, is actually practicing deen. This Muslim lady should be so strong in her deen that this man is afraid to approach her in any other way than an Islamic manner. But if, if there's some aspect of deen missing, uh, either coming from the father's husband's side or the wife's side, there's gonna be issues in the marriage. Uh, and with this particular thing, I've seen relationships where the wife was too pious for the brother and he couldn't handle her. Or the man was too pious for the, the wife and she couldn't handle it, you know, so, and these are relationships that would have blossomed if they had accepted the fact that my husband is a Muslim, you know, he does this and, and support. But sometimes the Nafsi Amarabishi doesn't want that the particular part, that, that particular amount of discipline in the marriage. But it is something if we want to be successful. It has to be there. Mm. 
subhanAllah. Beautiful advice. Can I add something to that? Please do, Mecca. I remember th th that uh, when I first married my husband, Alhamdulillah, I remember saying to his parents the day of our nikah that he and I are now entering a triangular relationship, meaning that point at the top is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we are the two corners. And if we want to get technical with the math, it's an equilateral triangle, okay? <laughs> so if at the point, at the top, there's Allah, and on each side is he and I. If our lines do not, if one of our lines do not connect with Allah, we're not going to be able to connect with one another. If both lines are connecting with their Lord, then they'll be able to come together and connect as one, as a beautiful unit, not a perfect unit, but a beautiful unit that are a reminder for one another. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's absolutely a beautiful analogy. Um, Imam Amin, I want to come back to you because you said something that really um, struck me because it was a beautiful reminder. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna sit up here and lie or front as if I'm, you know, in in this sort of journey. Especially for those of us that may have navigated like divorce or these painful experiences, sometimes we can go far to the left, right? Where we can say, you know, I just need love of myself and I'm, you know, just self love, and you know, we're kind of in that era. But you kind of reminded you know us of sort of this purpose and some of the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means and tools that he gave us to reach him I wanted to um first of all get your advice if you could kind of build on that a little bit of how do we balance it especially after heartbreak and pain how do we balance still staying on the mission still being able to use and having hope in the the tools that Allah gave us rather than going far to the left where we like Forget all y'all. <laughs> Number one, no, it's not permissible to say forget all of y'all. Okay. <laughs> say forget all of y'all. Then really what you're saying is all of y'all worthless and destroyed. was mm. said, whoever says that the people are destroyed, they're the most destroyed of all of them. <laughs> so don't go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a well known saying from the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-arifuna billah, those knowers of Allah. And may Allah give us all ma'rifah to know him. It's extremely important. What that saying says is, man arafa nafsahu arafa rabbah. The one who knows himself or herself will know their Lord. Right? Okay. And here, because you will know yourself in a state of deficiency and you will know your Lord in a state of perfection. Mm. All of us are deficient. The Prophet wasallam, he indicated that by saying, all of the children of Adam make mistakes, fall short. And the best of those who do that are those who repent. We must learn to give, forgive ourselves so that we expose ourselves to Allah's forgiveness. So when we go through trying situations, we must realize that I am ajiz, I am deficient, I am weak. Allah is al-Qawi, he's the powerful one. 
I am limited in my understanding and knowledge and wisdom and how to manage affairs. Allah, he's al-mudabbir. He's the one who has complete, absolute management of all matters. And then what happens when that, we have a tawakkul. We rely on Allah. And what is relying on Allah is to admit your deficiency and your inability, and then to transfer all that on the one who is able. That's from one aspect of it. Okay. The second aspect of how to work that is what the knowers of Allah, and I, I like to mention them because it's an aspect where we talk about rules without reality. You know, I just want to be on my dean. Dean is not just physical. Dean is mostly spiritual and internal. The state of your heart is really the reality of your dean outward. That's what the Prophet ﷺ indicated when he said, Inna There is in the body a piece of flesh. When it is sound, the whole body is sound. When it is defective, though, the whole body is defective. That's the heart. One of those aspects that I mentioned. So the knowers of Allah who are people, people of the hearts, not just the body. What do they say? They said they divide people into two parts. Two parts. Al-Kamil, the, the perfected one, the complete one, and Al-Naqis, the deficient one. Listen how they describe them though. It's interesting. The perfected one is the one who sees deficiency in themselves and perfection in everyone else. And the deficient one is the one who sees perfection within themselves and deficiency in everyone else. Yeah. If you want to be perfected, learn to admit your deficiencies and rely on the one who has complete perfections and it will clear all of your deficiencies. I'm going to infuse in a question. Um, got to go back up for a minute. Um, there was a question. Can the panel clarify? And I'll pop around everybody. Mecca, if it's okay, I'll start with you. Um, can the panel clarify loving someone and loving someone versus, I guess, being in love with someone, the feeling or the aspect of it? Mecca, what, what say you? Ooh, so loving someone opposed to being in love with someone. And my, my observation, I'm looking at that as loving someone for the sake of Allah, which I feel as though is like the best love. Because at this point, you're loving this person in a way where you're also understanding that they're human, that they make mistakes, that they may fail you, you know, or they may fail, not even you. They may fail. They have faults. And that's okay. It, you're a little bit more understanding, not saying that you're going to be affected, but you're a little bit more understanding in that aspect. You can navigate spiritually differently and better in order for you to get to a better place of reacting. Mm. Being in love with someone is being, and it's not to say that we can't love someone for our own personal selves, but you got to be careful with stuff like that. Because sometimes it'll take you a little too far to the point where you lose a sense of 
not just yourself, but you lose a sense of your Lord and your soul's purpose of being here. That person is loaned to you for, for many reasons and merciful reasons. But when you get so captivated in love with that person, it allows you to sway in different ways that will have an effect on you spiritually and not the best with not the with having the best I'm sorry with having not so much of great results in the end mm. not just necessarily in that relationship because I'm going to say in a marriage but not just within that marriage but also within yourself and your connection with your lord you know so just just being making sure that you love for the reasons of understanding that one this person is alone to you or this particular feeling is alone to you and you have to also make sure that you keep your lord in mind in order for you to navigate the tests that will come with such type of love yes absolutely um ustad muhammad i wanted to ask you that same question if you could differentiate the two for us as well then i'll pop over the email my name Okay, let me mention uh, first of one of the people of love, Al Haris Al Muhasibi. He mentioned this is in Risalatu uh, Kushairiya. Uh, he mentions that when you love someone, love means that you're inclined towards them in your entirety. You're inclined towards them in your entirety if you really love them. And that uh, that means, you know, you give preference to that person and everything, uh, you know, over yourself, uh, your, yourself, your knocks, your possessions, and, and you comply whatever they wish for you comply with it. until you reach the point you know you you comply with it openly and secretly until you reach the point where you recognize it, it's imperfect that your love no matter what you do cannot be perfect so when it comes to a human being loving a human being you know whatever you do for them it will it you will never be able to meet the expectations so what we have to do is try to to develop love of Allah and what this goes back to disciplining purifying itself and once you discipline and purify yourself, then you will never be disappointed when you see the imperfection in the one you love. Because when you give yourself over to someone completely, yourself, your possessions, your, your very being, and they disappoint you, if your love is, is not at the level where you're strong and your love of Allah and recognize that Allah is perfect, as Imam Muhammad Amin mentioned, then you'll find yourself being disappointed in that love and you find yourself turning away from that person. So going back to the fact that you have to recognize that that person is not perfect, that only Allah is perfect, recognize that your love will never be perfect and his love for you will never be perfect because it's not meant to be perfect. So the only perfect love would be the love that we try to, in, to cultivate between ourselves and Allah Ta'ala and the basis of that love is following Sharia. The person who was violating Sharia was, was eating haram, smoking haram, doing haram. He would never know love either in, in terms of a relationship with the husband and his wife or parents with their children, you will never know any type of real love. So the basis of love in, in, in everything in our deen is based on uh, staying away from those things that take us away from Allah Ta'ala and, and uh, attaching ourselves to those things and those people who bring us close to Allah Ta'ala. Because Allah Ta'ala has given us the awliya and the ulama who give us a connection with Allah Ta'ala, allow us to develop that love because they're examples of that. Beautifully stated, Jazakallah Khairan. Imam Amin, could you differentiate the two for us? From one sense, let's look at it Islamically, right? Let's look at love as three stages and go from love to in love to real love. Love, in love, real love. Love 
has you in it. In love, you disappear for the other. Love is both of y'all disappear and is Allah. You follow? So it's three levels. Love, in love, and real love. What you say, divine love. If we look at the companions and the Prophet Wasallam's instruction towards us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we see love, which we all know in the hadith. The Prophet Wasallam told us, none of you truly believe, meaning you have complete faith, until you love for your brother or sister, right? What you love for yourself, which is equal here. You are concerned here. So that's love. I love for you what I love for myself. I love you, right? When I'm in love with you, I'm going to prefer you over me. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned about the Sahaba in the Quran, that they prefer other than themselves, even if their lot is poverty. Hmm. Imam al-Ghazali explained that another way. He talked about a true friend, which is in love with you. The true friend, he said, is one who when things are falling apart from you, for you, they will break themselves into pieces to put you back together. That's someone who's in love with you. When things are falling apart for you, they will break themselves into pieces to put you back together. That's the one who's in love. Then you reach a higher level of divine love where we as together only love each other for the sake of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ indicated that. He said, whoever loves for Allah, whoever hates for Allah, whoever gives for Allah, whoever withholds for Allah, has perfected their faith. So when I look at in love, I look like you disappear and it's about the other. In other words, it's not about you receiving rights. Your only concern is giving rights. Mm. You have disappeared when you're in love. Mm. When you're in love, you don't think about you. But when you just love, it can be both ways, you and the other. That's how I understand it. Oof. That, that's so layered. And I saw a sister's comment and I don't want to, you know, when we talk about these topics, um, brothers and dear sister, um, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, the comments or the responses that, that we don't want to be remiss of people that are maybe mistreated that, who are abused. So we often talk about this authentic, unconditional love and, you know, people want the balance based on their experiences. So it's interesting when you mentioned the definition of in love, but I wanted to reiterate far as balancing that sort of unconditional, authentic, higher love with also um, maintaining your rights and justice and all the other things that come with us being believers and being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not supposed to oppress, nor are we supposed to allow ourselves to be oppressed. So where's the balance as it relates to treatment and boundaries and all of that as it relates to this sort of um, this authentic love that we're discussing? Um, and I'm just going to pop this open for anyone to, to catch it. I think one of the things that everyone who gets married should do, there's a class called um, Rights and Duties of the Husband and the Wife. Mm -hmm. In most cases, the lady doesn't know what her rights are. The man thinks he has rights that he doesn't have. 
And when he doesn't get what he thinks he's supposed to have, he does things that he should not do. Also, there's a, a complete misunderstanding of the way Muslim ladies should be treated. And this goes back to uh, a misunderstanding of this whole thing of beating and all these other things. And we find men abusing their wives and trying to justify the Islam. There's no justification for that. This particular thinking that a Muslim lady is your slave or your servant is a complete misunderstanding because a lot of us create them as your mates, as your partners. There's an equal partnership. A lot of us says about the, he says, the believing men and the believing women, the men who pray and the women who pray. The men who gives a God and the woman who gives a God back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In our history, we find that the majority of those who are superior in terms of love and affection were those Muslim ladies who are allowed to, allow to perfect themselves. And in most cases, the Muslim ladies, they outstrip the men when it comes to spirituality. But in most cases, men will not accept the fact that they may be deficient and their wives may be better than them when it comes to understanding and knowing their deen. Under no circumstance would a Muslim lady allow herself to be oppressed or think that it's normal or acceptable. And what I've seen in the, in the past is that Muslim men, even amongst some of the so-called imams in the United States, would justify what the men were doing to their wives, that they would cover it up and would not champion the, the rights of the Muslim lady. I've, everyone who knows me knows that I am very, very staunch when it comes to championing the rights of the Muslim ladies, that no Muslim lady should ever be oppressed. And for those Muslim men who do that, it's because there's a deficiency in their deen and their understanding of deen. So it goes back to... Uh, when it comes to treatment of the of the male, the mate, uh, our beloved Nabi Islam has given us clear clear guidance on how to do that and what we're supposed to do. So if a man is not fulfilling his obligation to his wife, the wife has certain rights. I'll give you one one example and I'll, 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 that's, that someone else mentioned it. Uh, a, a lady asked me, she said, my husband, this was years ago, he said, my husband, he gives me, and you may laugh at this, all he gives us to eat is oodles of noodles. I said, subhanAllah. I said, well, can he afford to give more? She said, yes. I said, then if he doesn't give you more, you take the money from his pocket and do what you have to do for your family. This is abuse. If the man was saying, well, lots of us says the feeder when I feed myself, I like noodles. So men have to be real when it comes to, do you really love your wife and children? When our Sheikh first came, Sheikh he said that uh, I find very few of you actually really loving your wives and children. Very few of you actually really loving them. You say you love them, but what you say is not in your heart because your love is manifest by your treatment of your wife, by your treatment of your children. If you love them, you will show them the, the utmost uh, adapt, the utmost respect and the utmost affection and attention. So again, it goes back to understanding what your rights are as a Muslim lady. Some ladies, they don't know that they have rights, so they allow themselves to be abused, don't even know they're being abused. And men have rights, they think that, for example, According to a fiqh Hanafi, a lady does not have to cook for her husband, does not have to clean for him, all those things. A man comes home and says, where's my food? Why didn't you cook me food? I divorced you. He doesn't have the right to divorce her based on that. So again, it goes back to Muslim ladies should know what their rights are, and they should demand their rights, and the Muslim man should understand what her rights are and give her those rights. To violate her rights is a major sin. Hmm. Oof, wow. Mecca, um, I wanted to um, come over to you as it relates to this topic. I think it's important. Where's the balance? Um, you know, how do we draw the line as it relates to relationships that are toxic, that are harmful to us in this quest to find authentic and divine love? Well, to be in that type of situation, you first have to figure out, like, having a better love and care for yourself. And a lot of times this goes back to, as the Imam, uh, Imam Amin had mentioned, as far as the three levels of love, a 
And a lot of times when women are in those toxic relationships is because they're in love. They lose a sense of themselves because it's all about that person, that man. And sometimes some women will do all that's necessary to stay and be in that particular relationship. They don't see the harm that is occurring. Now, let me not, let, let's not get it twisted because I don't want to be one-sided. Right. Sometimes the women are toxic in those relationships also. And the men sometimes get lost in that, in that wife, you know, for whatever reasons. So it's being able to have a better, a better found respect and, love, and care for your own soul. You know, going back to that lost soul and a better connection with your Lord. Because at, at that point, for you to be in a toxic situation where things are being done, when things are being done in a way where you're allowing it, you're tolerating it, you're not speaking up for what that which is right, it's concerning. It's really concerning as far as with your connection with your Lord. So being able to like, if you see, cause sometimes people that are in toxic relationships, they don't realize that they're in toxic relationships. Yeah. And it's because they also, you know, for one reason or another, their connection with their Lord is either very weak, very small, or in some cases, even controlled. Because there's some situations where there's some sisters out here that are with brothers for whatever reasons. And that brother kind of like controls the thing where it's kind of like borderline, like you're following his lead and his word as if he is the almighty. And it's very concerning because at that point, there's women who are scared to even like stand up for themselves. And I will say also, just as a, even a, a, a bit of a leap, when we as other community members kind of witness that, it's upon us to at least say something or try to veer or, or give some type of advice that's going to be of some benefit for that person to kind of like snap out of it in a sense. And if the words that you give is not good enough or it doesn't help, then the, the do as, you know, the do as for the, the, you know, those people, but a sister or I won't say a sister, but people that are in toxic relationships, first and foremost, they need to take a step of hopefully understanding and admitting that this can't be right, that this yeah. is not the sin. That this Absolutely. is not being, this is not pleasing unto my Lord. Mm -hmm. And if they can't do anything right away, at least start looking at some of the things that they may be, they may be um, neglecting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've seen situations where people go through things and then when you ask them, okay, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Meaning their self, you know, right. practices and maybe they're not praying. Yeah. Maybe they're not praying all the time. Maybe they're doing things that are not permissible or disobedient to their Lord. And it's just like, once you start letting those things go, mm -hmm. sometimes you're able to see certain things to the point where you gain more light. You gain more of a closeness to your Lord and you're able to possibly stand up for yourself or be able to, 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 to practice it in a, in, in a way where your Islam or your Iman is becoming stronger and you repel those toxic energies also Absolutely. where you attract things that are going to be befitting and pleasing unto your Lord. And you kind of like repel those that are disobedient. 
at the end of the day. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Mecca. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, Iman, I mean, I need to ask a question, um, Iman, if that's okay. Um, so one of the purposes of the Dope Muslim One podcast, which we're intentional about, is to sort of bridge better understanding between our brothers and sisters, right? We have a lot of misunderstandings, especially Black Muslims, okay? And a lot, there's a lot of, mis I, I see, you know, once we start on this topic, the audience goes ham. So I always am like, hold on, guys, don't go too far, come back. Um, and so I want to ask a question as it relates to the, the, the misunderstanding that we have as, as First of all, people that are Black people in this country that have went through the sort of experiences and trauma that we have been through. Alhamdulillah, we've been blessed to come back to Islam. But there has been a lot of damage as it relates to this thing called connection and love. And there's a lot of misunderstandings. And we're at each other's throats as men and women, brothers and sisters. Um, I want to know how, Haki, um, we can, first of all, I want you to help me understand how is it that Black Muslim men, how, in your opinion, maybe express love, show love? Where is it that maybe we are misunderstanding? And how can we get better at sort of the dynamics that we have as far as our relationships, just with the misunderstandings we have culturally? I, I, before I answer that, can I yeah. make one point? Please. And it relates to everything that y'all were talking about, about toxic relationships and mm -hmm. marriages and women being abused and men being abused. From I've been an imam for 11 years now. I've been a teacher for way longer than that. But as an imam, it's totally different from a teacher. In the black community, it's a whole nother world. Yeah. Right. And excuse me, when he mentioned the oodles and noodles, I kind of laughed. I wasn't laughing at that, but I thought that was something unique that I heard. Now it's in Atlanta. Or it's kind of it's happening everywhere. <laughs> Like, this is unbelievable. But I just want to say one point. One of uh, the great knowers of Allah, his name was Sahal ibn Abdullah al-Tustari. He said a statement. He said, Allah was never disobeyed with anything more severe than ignorance. Allah was never disobeyed with anything more severe than ignorance. And it was said to him, do you know anything more severe than ignorance? He said, yes. Naam, yes. Al-jahlu bil-jahli. Ignorance of ignorance. Hmm. That's called al-jahlu murakkab, compounded ignorance. And I think that is the source of all of our toxic relationships. Okay. Ignorance of ignorance. So when you define a man abusing a woman, it's because that man is ignorant of the religion and the result of his transgression against his wife. He's ignorant of the religion. And even if he express knowledge from his tongue, if you go beyond that veil of the tongue and see the light, what is going in the heart, you'll notice it's more darkness than light. When you look at the woman who is in a position of being abused, a lot of it is not just her love for the husband. A lot of it is her ignorance of her rights and her responsibilities towards her Lord. So I just wanna 
I wanted that as a point. Yes. And now to come back to how do we do uh, with us? Yeah. Let us try to understand more than we try to be understood. Okay. If you ask me as a man, what is my opinion and why do I do what I do? And you're really trying to understand that you're going to learn that often I just don't think like you, mm -hmm. right? I'm not a woman. I was just having a talk with a group of sisters before this podcast and I wanted to hear them. I have a lot of women students, so I wanted yeah. to listen to them. And we were talking about love. And I said something before I left. I said, and what I discovered about women and men, women, we know that in theory, but in reality, women normally are much more emotional than men. Right? right. So what hurts you don't hurt me. Okay. So what hurts you may necessarily not hurt me. I might not even think about it. Not because I want to harm you. It's just that it's not my nature to feel what you feel. The only way I'm going to get that is when you tell me. Hmm. Right? If you don't inform me of what hurts you and you hold, you withhold that, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to women and men. Right. right? What's going to happen is I'm going to continue down the road of hurting you and I may not even realize I'm hurting you. Hmm. Then that pain will become normal for me to dish out to you because I never knew it was pain, but it's become compounded over time for you to it became toxic, toxic. The same way goes for women towards men. And, and I, as an imam, I always look at, tell me both sides of the story. I'll tell you a crazy story to help me if you give me the time. Yeah, please. This is the weirdest thing that happened to me with relationships as an imam. One time I was in after Jumu'ah, a woman came to me. No, stop. The brother came to me first. Knocked on my door, my office. Imam, can I speak to you? So come on in. He says, I need you to do me a favor. He said, I need you to tell a brother that his wife is no longer his wife because I take care of her. So she's my wife. While he was telling me that, the woman came and knocked on my door. And she said, wait a minute, Imam, I'm confused. My husband doesn't provide for me and he provides for me. He takes me to everything I need to do. So therefore he's fulfilling the rights of my husband. And he told me that makes him my husband. Now this is true. I'm not making this up, right? It's weird, right? Uh, yeah, a little bothersome. You know what to say, right? <laughs> but listen, that's real in our communities. Things like that. I know of a case where the woman had two husbands. 
one for the day and one at night. When the man who worked in the daytime would leave, the one uh, whose night would come. And the one who worked at night, then the man in the daytime would come. What is the bottom root to that? Ignorance. Ignorance. Not knowing the rules of the religion. How many of us get married and don't know what marriage is supposed to be like in Islam and then go from culture? We've never seen a lot of us strong relationships before Islam. Right. Divorce, abuse, alcoholism. These things are real and we never investigate individuals who are affected by these things. We just marry Lillahi Ta'ala, as we say, without examining some of the social toxic things we've experienced as a people prior to Islam, during Islam, and without learning because knowledge, learning is not at the forefront of our agenda. So I'm just thinking it's something we should think about. And lastly, in closing, I have a saying and I want us never to forget it. Black Muslims have the same problem as black people who are non-Muslims. We share the same life. Islam didn't change our reality. It changed our belief system. So we need to reflect on that when we're dealing with these issues. Mm. And Allah knows best. I'm going to ask both Mecca and Ustad Muhammad the same question because I think it's vital and important. Jazakallah Khairan Imam Amin for that. And I, I love that powerful reminder at the end of that because I do think we try to disconnect and then we often see ourselves repeating the same patterns and not often that we have in the same the, the right solutions for it. Um, if it's okay, Mecca, I'm going to start with Ustad. And I wanted to ask you as it relates to like our experience as black people here in this country and as Muslims, people that are on the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, navigating one another. And then the dynamic and the harm that has been caused between the black man and the black woman by, you know, ripping the, the black woman out of the arms of the black man to the slave master's house and, and you know, stripping the, the black man of his manhood and all these sort of layers in which these patterns in which we pass down generation after generation, we're trying to love and understand one another. How can we do it, Ustad? What are some of the tools? Right, again, it goes back to the fact that we have been damaged because of the slave trade and you know, the whole uh, slavery in America. So that, again, as you said, the position of uh, head of the household was stripped from the man and given to the woman. And uh, for a long time, you still see this now that the, in most of the African-American or Black-American families, Muslim as well, the woman is the strong person in the household because the man wasn't allowed to be. So it's a matter of, again, going back to education and, and learning knowledge, knowing what your position is as a Muslim man, as a Muslim father, as a Muslim husband, as a brother, the lady knowing what her, what her position is, what her rights are as a Muslim lady and demanding those rights. What we have to do as Muslim men, especially the imams and the shuyuk from amongst the black American community, we have to advocate more for those Muslim ladies who have been abused. We also have to advocate and make sure that they are given the proper Islamic education in terms of their obligations and duties, male and female. Again, I suggest that everyone before getting married should have a class that covers what their rights and duties are as a husband and a wife, so that when they go into the marriage, they know full what they're getting into, what's expected of them. 
it's going to take a long time because again, a lot of these uh, behaviors are, are ingrained, yeah. almost as though we were born with those. You know, even if we never saw abuse in the house, you know, it's almost as though it's in our genes. Yeah. You know, so it's again, it's a process that uh, happens over a period of time, and it's a process that has to be done through healing. And the, one of the medicines for healing those maladies is zikr and salawat. So if a person is, has been given a wazifa, if, if you know a sheikh who, who can give you a wazifa or give you some spiritual medicine to heal you, you should take it, but it has to be someone who's qualified to give it. So he will, he will tell you there's a certain amount of holy Quran you should read every day. For healing, there's a, a selection called manzil. And these are ayat that will actually help you to heal yourself internally as well as physically. There's a certain amount of salawat on our beloved Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi they call it the rule. This also eases and soothes the pain and zikr itself, but the best zikr is Holy Quran. So if you're reading Holy Quran consistently, if you can't read it, listen to it. If you can't read it, read it consistently and recite more salawat on our beloved Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi But most importantly, you have to have an Islamic foundation in terms of what your rights and duties are as a husband or what your rights and duties are as a wife. You know, as, as a parent, as a child, all these things have to be taught because these are not things that we were taught as non-Muslim because it was a completely different thing. So we have to uh, approach again, you know, we have to approach uh, our relationships from an Islamic perspective. Most of us don't know what that is. So the imams have to be, uh, have to make sure that the people in their, their congregation and in their jamaahs get this essential education, this essential knowledge. That was why years ago we taught that particular subject of Rishallah. I think it should be taught again. Yeah, it was very helpful. SubhanAllah. It was a course that Ustad taught um, here in Atlanta um, that was very beneficial to, to help with our marriages. Um, Mecca, so I wanted to ask you, I mean, SubhanAllah, you're holding it down for the ladies tonight. Um, and, you know, we as, you know, Black women, we, you know, again, a lot of intentional harm has been done to us. And then we navigate, as Ustad mentioned, um, having to deal a lot, like you said, that aspect of head of household and even just the intentional damage and systems that have been put in place to sort of um, keep us disconnected from our men. Um, what is a good way in which we can sort of come back to authentically loving and supporting our black men, especially as they navigate the dynamics that are against them in this society? Ooh, well, understanding first and foremost, because I wanted to say this earlier when Imam Amin was speaking, um, and it kind of ties into this too, that we always hear the, the saying, it takes a village, right? To raise, whether it's a child or a people, right? But we have to also understand that the village has always been most of the time broken. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that we have to heal yeah. those things that are broken or recognize that it is or has been broken. And the things that we grew up seeing we can't normalize those things. We have to understand and see that there is a lot of fault, a lot of undertones of breaking up those families, those connections with the, 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 the men and the women as far as when it comes to being able to not necessarily love, because I know we're talking about love, respect and honor one another and come together and collaborate yeah. with one another in these in this relationship and partnership we call marriage. So understanding that there is some things that we're used to seeing or that we grew up, you know, seeing and observing, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, that had some type of effect on us may need to be addressed. 
they need to be fixed or just level it out and build a beautiful, new, stronger foundation. Not necessarily just for ourselves, but also the generations that are following behind us. Like not allow that cycle to continue to repeat. Yeah. It is time where healing and, and, and seeking help is becoming the norm. Right. Back when I was growing up, that was a taboo. You didn't go talk to nobody. You go pray, not saying that prayer does not help because it absolutely does. But then also sometimes the things that you pray for may come in, you know, versions of other people assisting and advising and, and helping you throughout that process in order for you to get to those gifts of healing and wellness. But understanding that we need to address that and where we come from, it, it, it wasn't that thing. It wasn't the thing that's going to help us become better. We have to realize that we have to kind of recondition ourselves into seeing, seeking, doing, and acting so better in order for us to be able to live better. SubhanAllah, JazakAllah Kaiden. And we are coming to the end of this podcast, but I wanted to quickly debunk a few myths or try to see, get your opinions on something. So I'm going to ask a few questions or state, make a few statements. And I just want to hear if you agree or disagree. Um, since we're coming to the end, I'm just asking that the response be relatively concise. Everyone can kind of say true or false. If you need to make a short comment, you can do so. But just so that we can navigate to the questions and get everybody off in due time, inshallah. So um, the first, my, my first one is, is you cannot love Allah and be disobedient to him. Ustad Muhammad, true or false? Do you agree or disagree with that statement? False, because love can be perfect and, it can, and, it can be, and also can be, be imperfect. So we may still make mistakes, but because we love Allah, we do talk. It is possible to make a mistake and still have love of Allah, Allah though your love may not, will not be perfect. Love. You know what I mean? False. Okay, same thing, Mecca. False, huh? <laughs> okay. All right. There must always be a balance of given and taken in loving relationships. Mecca, agree or disagree? True or false? I agree with that. There has to be a balance. Absolutely. There has to be a balance as far as where you how you are prioritizing, you know, where and how your love is being given and in what level it may be. Okay. Imam Amin, there must always be a balance of given and taken in loving relationships. Yes. Can I give a quick example of that? Yes, you can. One time, a companion came to the door of Sayyiduna Umar ibn Khattab when he was the Khalifa. He went to Umar's door. He was given to knock. And he heard Umar's wife giving him the business. He walked away. Sayyiduna Umar came out. He said, where are you going? He said, I was coming to complain about my wife. When I heard yours, I left. Right. He said, shouldn't I be merciful to her? And then he enumerated all her good qualities. That is a balance. Mm. Ustad Muhammad. I agree. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It should be it should be reciprocated. And 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 in some cases you should do more than what's expected, but at least it should be reciprocated. Hmm. SubhanAllah. All right. Um, in most relationships, love is all you need, Imam. Um, I mean. No, 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 you need more than love. <laughs> false. False, false. A big false. false. Okay. Ustad Muhammad. False. I agree with what Imam said. Mecca. Takes more. Definitely a big false. Okay. Takes a lot more. All right. Okay. Loving someone for the sake of Allah should be automatic. It is a feeling that immediately exists within the hearts of Muslims. Ustad Muhammad. 
false. It's not something that automatically happens because a lot of times, you know, you find people that you, you've never seen them before in your life, but you just like that person. And then you meet someone who you've never been seen and this just something about them you don't like. There's a hadith where, you know, he said that souls haven't depended upon human physical bodies or like united arms before coming into those bodies. Those who are with each other in that life, they automatically attract each other. Those who are averse to each other in that life automatically repel. So no, you know, that there is, there is, you know, uh, there is the, the unconditional, unconditional love is you have to know the person, then you find yourself loving them. You know, the love for Fisabila is based on the person's Islamic quality, the character. How can I love a Muslim who is doing, who's beating his wife? How can I have unconditional love for someone who's, who's doing all those things Allah is not commanded? His obedience is what makes me fall in love with him because I see the beauty of his rule. Then mm. I begin to love him in, in, in a manner that is so that makes me so happy that when I see him, I smile. When I'm alone, I think about him, I smile. When I'm reading a book and I think about him, I smile. That unconditional love is based on knowing that person and because of those qualities that draw him near to Allah and draws me near to him. Beautiful. Imam Amin. That's, that's my take on it. False. False. Okay. Uh, Mecca, loving someone for the sake of Allah should be automatic? False. Okay, alhamdulillah. All right, a, a big one. I'm going to start with you, Imam. I mean, love can be jealous and possessive. True. <laughs> True. Okay, all right. Ustad Muhammad? True. Even divine love can be be uh, possessive and, and uh, you know, jealous. You know, that, you know, I mean, this is, this, uh, this is my Allah, you know. So, uh, so, uh, Mecca. The oh. Mecca? Definitely true. Definitely okay. true. We have we even have examples in some of the mother of the the mothers of the believers where that was even put into practice. Not to say that it can't be controlled or checked or corrected, but yes, most definitely true. Absolutely, love is another name for sacrifice, Ustad Muhammad. No, love is more than sacrifice. Okay, um, Imam Amin. Love is, love is an aspect. Uh, uh, sacrifice is an aspect of love. It's not a name for love. It's an aspect of love. It's an aspect of love. Imam Amin. So false, and I agree with what he said, is an aspect of love. Okay. Mecca. It's an, love is another name for sacrifice. It's false. Okay. It's definitely false. It has, it's, it's more than just that. All right. And Mecca, falling, last one, falling in love is a unique um, as, as a psychological state. Say, can you repeat that, please? Falling in love is a unique physiological, sorry, state. <sighs> Falling in love. See, now I got these three <laughs> levels of love going on in my head. <laughs> no, no, you mad me. Like, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm going to say that that is true. Okay. All right. I'm going to say that that's true. You mean what I mean? Could you explain what you mean by that? Oh, sorry. So it's the, the, the process of falling in love is a unique sort of state of being that you feel within your body that absolutely can change um, how you feel physically, mentally, emotionally. It's just a unique experience. That's true. Okay. That's true. Okay. That's absolutely true. Okay. Ustad Muhammad. As it's in Atlanta, 100. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred percent, I agree. Yeah, we're tired of hearing that. I'm from I'm in Atlanta. Share something with you. Yeah, I, I, I had to put that out there. Though. As I was preparing to think about what you were saying, I was listening to one of the teachers of my teachers. It's old, a long time ago, and he was talking about love. 
and you can see him physically mm. going through different stages, different things he talked about. Really, you could see the impact of the concept of love physically changing him as he was talking. So I say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. SubhanAllah. I'm just going to say, I experience that every time I talk about my husband. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> <Just, just, laughs> MashaAllah, SubhanAllah. Um, okay, I appreciate that breakdown. I'm looking for a particular question. And that's what happens when this live goes on. It was a particular question that I saw that I wanted to go back to. Um, for Brother Farouk said, I'm not sure what he's referring to, Ustad Muhammad, but he did say, so your unconditional love is conditional by your de definition, Ustad Muhammad. So I'm not exactly sure what point you were making. What, yes, I understand exactly what he's saying. Unconditional love is based on obedience to Allah Ta'ala, and that's what develops unconditional love. So there is a condition that the person is an, an avid, and, and because of his loving Allah Ta'ala, it makes me love him. So the condition is that he loves Allah Ta'ala and because of that, I love him. And my love for him becomes so overwhelming because when I when I see him, when I meet him, it reminds me of my Allah. Mm. So this is the unconditional love we're talking about, that this person is has such a connection with Allah. You see this when you go amongst some of the shayuk, when you're in the presence of, of the, the, the shaykhs, you know, because of their connection with Allah Ta'ala, you love them and you feel the love coming from them. You see it. And so the condition of my love being for him being Fisvila, uh, unconditional love is based on what I see in him. So I guess you could say there was a condition to my unconditional love, but is that how can I have unconditional love for someone who's a sinner, who's doing haram, who's, who's, who's are doing all the things Allah Ta'ala has, has decreed that we shouldn't do. So when you're with these friends of Allah, these lovers of Allah, they automatically uh, inspire love in you and they develop your love. And so your love for them becomes unconditional because it's based on their following Sharia. You see the perfection of their deen. You see them following the sunnah of Nabi Akunim, so that's what makes you love them. So yeah, the condition is that they're a worshiper of Allah Ta'ala and you see that sincerity and you love them unconditionally because of that. Okay, subhanAllah. So the question, the question from Brother Kareem is this, is it possible to love one another in relationships correctly if we don't actually love one another as real brothers and sisters first? Imam I mean, you can go ahead, I see. No, it's not possible. And that's probably, it's not possible. In your relationship, and me and my, me and my wife, we had to talk about this. Mm -hmm. If we learn to love each other as brothers and sisters in Islam, that love will prevent us from falling out of love in our relationships. When your relationship is built on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam all the tools to keep your relationship together are present when that is missing that makes the relationship between spouses much more difficult not impossible but almost impossible hmm. so I think the brotherly love in Islam the love of faith is what will keep a, a struggling relationship together. Mm. Without it, it's it's doomed. Yeah, sweet. It's, it's subhanAllah. Khairan. Um, subhanAllah, I wanted to just, mashallah, just um, thank you guys for being here. This conversation was so dynamic and so layered. 
Um, I really changed my perspective on a lot of thoughts. I really humbly appreciate and want to express my sincere gratitude to you guys being here on the panel and um, sharing this wisdom with me and with the audience members. Jazakallah Kaiden to you, Ustad Muhammad, for showing up and for you know giving us this hub and Imam Amin. Jazakallah Kaiden. May Allah bless both of you, brothers. And my lovely Mecca, thank you so much. And may Allah bless you, my dear sister. And may he continuously fortify you in your work. And to the audience members, I wanted to just express my deep appreciation for your collaboration and your insight. And I saw most of your comments. I'm sorry I couldn't get to most of them because I was literally like receiving. And so I wasn't as interactive with you. So my deepest apologies, but I hope that you benefited as I did. I wanted to just give honor to you guys by allowing you guys to say a culminating point before we jump here off the live. Ustad Muhammad, is it okay if I start with you with a culminating or summative point or advice that you can give all of us, inshallah, about love? First, I would like to uh, thank you for allowing us to come on. And you picked the topic that has been uh, that's a very, very deep, very detailed, very intricate topic. I want to ask a lot of to forgive myself and Imam Muhammad Amin for even trying to reach this topic because the ulama of love have written volumes on this topic and we haven't even touched the surface. So may Allah ta'ala bless the Imam Muhammad Amin for coming on and, and may Allah ta'ala bless you for hosting this. And if inshallah we have uh, added anything to the topic, then we thank our Allah ta'ala for giving us the ability to do whatever we did. Jazakallah Khairan Ustad. Imam Amin, any culminating points or advice for us? In terms of love, I, I want to I wanna say something to me that's really extremely important for me. That we need to learn to love ourselves as a people. I think a lot of our problems with love and relationships is that we haven't learned to, devalue, to value ourselves properly as a people. We don't realize how devastating the lack of love for ourselves as black, as black people is affecting our every aspect of our life, including our relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our relatives. If we get any love out of this, of course we want the love of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But can we learn to love each other as a people? Please. And Islam came to instill that in us, not take it away. Mm. We cannot love no one else till we learn to love ourselves. May Allah give us that ability. Ameen, Allahumma ameen, ameen. Mecca, thank Jazakallah Khaida. Mecca, could you share your last um, insights and advice with us, please? I think it's carrying over from what Imam um, uh, Amin just mentioned, that we have to do the due diligence with working on ourselves and understanding that there are so many other things, great potentials that are residing within us that is awaiting our discovery. And it won't happen without the work being done. Some of the work may not necessarily be hands-on, but it could be, you know, as far as just digging deeper and feeling as though that there's something better, something greater that is awaiting you as you're growing and growing closer. Glowing, yes, glowing and growing closer to your Lord. Because when light comes, what happens when light shines on you? You glow. Mm -hmm. So understanding that there's so much to come 
and to receive. But we have to make sure that we're making the initiative and doing the work for ourselves and not wait for someone else to push us in that direction. We need to kind of jump forward in that because you never know when a lesson with the Isla is going to call, call you back. So making the steps and don't think that it has to be a huge leap. The thicker, you know, the reading of Quran, the prayers, the classes, there can be things that you can do and gradually move towards that Allah will allow things as you, as you make progressions towards him, he will start to make things easier that you thought was once upon a time hard or difficult. So let's make sure that we're doing the work that's necessary in order for us to grow and glow forward, inshallah. Beautifully stated. Jazakallah Khairan. The audience members has sent their um, mean to your du'as and uh, gratitude um, to the podcast and to the ilm. May Allah bless and elevate all of you guys. Jazakallah Khairan for gracing us on the Dope Muslim Woman podcast. Thank you, audience members. Please make sure you come back next week with our next discussion, which is called Buju to Love Me, The Journey to Self. Um, may Allah bless all of you guys. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah.